0: This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. We're in this whole uh, series we started four weeks ago uh, in the book of Galatians. Uh, Let me encourage you to read it. And we're basically taking kind of like a verse-by-verse, you know, process of going through the the book of Galatians. It is... um, the way we do things here at Mosaic Church, we let the text determine the topic. And so typically we don't, let, uh, we don't just pick a topic and preach on it, but sometimes we do because sometimes we have to. But typically we like to use the scripture to determine the topic. And one of the interesting things about the book of Galatians is that it's dealing with a problem. Now I don't know about your family growing up, uh, but in my family we had problems. Uh, there was communication problems. I remember times that my parents were fighting. I remember being so scared one time when I heard my parents fight. I thought, you know, like my world was going to end. And it was, uh, it was tra- traumatic. Um, but, you know, you wake up in the morning and, you know, they're talking, having breakfast together. Everything was all right. And so But it, that was kind of a common occurrence. But one time, uh, my brothers got in a fight. I'm the youngest of six. I have four Brothers, a sister, and then me. I'm the baby of the family. And so, uh, and their stories are different than mine. I was uh, protected because I was the baby of the family. So thank the Lord. Any other babies in the family? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, We were taken care of. Our parents didn't care by the time they got to us. And so, but one time I went outside and uh, my brothers were arguing, my two older brothers, and that would have been like they're 10 and nine years older than me. And I haven't really talked to them about it too much, but I remember being like, because <gasps> both of my brothers had knives in their hands. And they're, so it must have been like something right after West Side Story. They must have watched that because they're, they're doing this and, and dancing a little bit. And, and, uh, but they were mad at each other. And uh, the knives came out literal knives. One time, uh, talking about siblings fighting. My sister and I, (laughs) please, I pray my sister's not watching. Uh, uh, She's a little bit older, and I made fun of her, you know, because I was like 10 years old, 11 years old, and she was 13, and she had peach fuzz on her lip, and uh, I made mention of it, and I shouldn't have done that. And uh, then we started just fighting. My mom was out, my dad was working, and we had each other in a headlock. We'd like... I think I had her hair, and she had me, and we were like, I said, if you let go, I'll let go. So she let go, and I proceeded to hold on to her and (laughs) gave my sister a black eye. Uh, At that very moment, I realized, what did I do? So I ran for my life and I ran out of room from running and I ran into my bedroom and I jumped into the bed and tried to hide and my sister came in and man, she came in like, you know, like Thor and she came in with, she had a ring, it was a pearl ring and right in the back of my head and I still actually have the love on my head uh, from my sister. The reason I tell you this story is that um, our family really struggled to stay together and the issues were not from outside it wasn't people coming from the outside attacking us it was inside the family and paul is sees this happening in the church and i would say our problem in our churches is not going to be from the outside it's going to be from the inside and you can see that happening uh I shared a story a few weeks ago about me going open air preaching, and one of the things I was apprehensive about was one time we had a, a guy that was spewing a lot of bad things. Um, he wasn't very nice. He wasn't a nice Christian. He was a mean Christian, and he was a very offensive Christian. But in no way did I feel like it was my job and duty to shame him. And but my students were saying, "Mark, you got to go out there and correct him. You got to." It's like. And you basically shoot him down, and I have no joy of shooting someone else down, a believer. Misaligned, I think, wrong ideas, but he claims to be a follower of Christ, and I, didn't, I didn't, had no desire to take my gun out and shoot a, a, another believer, figuratively. Figuratively. And uh, there was a guy in my ministry a long time ago. He's, I would say, one of the most difficult people I had on my staff. He was an intern. He was here for a year. And his situation, and I've had some difficult interns, but his was, I would say, the toughest and the worst because he felt like it was his job to uh, show the faults and the warts of the church which is the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And if someone were to consistently uh, make fun of my wife, I would be very defensive of that. And so I felt like the Lord helped me to see the bride of Christ like that and defend the bride. Uh, But it was like his calling to expose her. I call him, in a sense, it's like lifting up the skirt of of the church and that's not a calling, right? Now, is the church perfect? Absolutely not. Uh, does it need to fix itself? Yes. But we have to do it in love, in patience, and understanding. When we studied the, the Beatitudes, we talked about blessed are the merciful. Merciful is for the miserable. We're going to talk about grace here in a second. But mercy, it's what I believe the Scripture is telling us, is to place yourself in the other person's shoes, That's how you should look at them. Don't judge that person based on how you see things. Have grace and mercy on the person, like how they were raised. What kind of parents did they have? What kind of place did they were raised in? And when you do that, you recognize, you know what? I could see myself doing the same thing. I've shared this story. You know, when you see a homeless person, you know, you wonder, like, how did they get there? And then pride would say, well, I would never get there. You know, I'll get a job. Well, I don't know. You know, if, if I, my parents were, were abusive, if my parents were alcoholics, or drug addicts, and, you know, they didn't care about me. I've been in a few homes where uh, it's pretty sad, you know, the kids are raising themselves. No parental guidance. I mean, they're there, but they're not there. And the kids aren't taken care of. And then those kids aren't going to school or they're not learning. And, you know, so you could see if you were in their shoes. If I was in their shoes, I could see myself kind of doing the same thing. So let's be gracious with one another. Let's have mercy with one another. Uh, Let's remember that our challenge is going to be from inside, and that's what Paul is focusing on. Last week, I talked to you about that your autobiography is your argument. If you want to lead people to the Lord, and that's what Paul is doing. hes I thought it was like a me, you know, a me monster, just i and just trying to build himself up. But he is taking a very challenging path. He's saying, look at me. Could, could we say that? Well, he's challenging us. Look at me. His autobiography is his argument. He used to be this. And now he's that—he's changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus changed his life. He's, he's received grace, and it changed his life. And so, that challenge last week is, uh, can, you know, ask the Lord to help us if people can see that we ha- are with Christ. One of the things I wanted to say last week that I didn't have a chance is that it. The goal is not perfection. It's not like, come and see my life where you're not going to see me fail. If my kids were here, they're all downstairs serving right now. Uh, if they were here, they could attest to you that I was not a perfect father. I was not. There are many times I wasn't. I, I yelled at my kids. I might have spanked them with the belt once or twice. Back in those days, it was allowed, all right, and encouraged, um, I heard an amen, amen. I might have been, and there's no might if I was, at times rude to my wife. As I shared last week, I'm grateful for the change that God has allowed me to be in my life. Um, this is a story, my kids aren't here, which is good. And this is how, how much of a punk I was. There was a season that Robin and I broke up. And um, it's a long story, but we were not together. She moved on. And while I was at college, I was a young punk. Uh, somebody asked me in front of Robin if we were to get back together. And I, full of wisdom, humility, conscientious of the other person, I literally said, the closest Robin will ever get to be in my house is my maid. Robin would be here, it's like, it turned out to be true. Uh, uh, Her friend smacked me in the face. And, uh, thank the Lord for the friend, right? Uh, I just thank the Lord I'm not that same person. I don't say it. I know I say it kind of jovially, that's kind of funny story, but it's not. And I'm not a finished product. But our autobiography is our argument. If you're growing in the Lord, there's got to be some changes from when you were 22 to Fifty nine. There needs to be some changes in order for people to I bl- look and say, what well, the Lord is in his life. And so, Paul is saying, your autobiography, my autobiography, is our argument. And so, we're moving on to chapter 2 of Galatians. Now, a very long time ago, when I was also a young kid in college, I made a mistake, and I said something in my English class. This is at a secular college. And the professor was not a Christian. He was anti Christian. And I made the mistake and I said out loud in English composition class that at least I'm forgiven. And that caught the attention of the professor, Mr. Harrison. And he looked at me and I'm sitting in the second row. He goes, What did you say? I said, I'm forgiven. I was a brand new Christian. Just came to know Christ. And uh, he goes, how do you know you're forgiven? And I said, well, the Bible tells me that I'm forgiven. And God tells me I'm forgiven. Good answer. He says, God told you you were forgiven. And I'm like, oh, no. He goes, I said, Yes. He spoke to you? And I said, yes. And that just really is like, he comes off his platform and he goes, what did God sound like? I'm interested. He was, he was from, um, he had an English accent. He was from, I think, Barbados. And he was like, what, what did he sound like? Mocking and, I imagine, curious. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh. Um, you know, I'm just a brand new Christian, you know, it wasn't like I was taught lessons on how to answer that question, and so I said, he sounds a lot like me, because the Bible says I am one with Christ, and that shocked the professor, and it actually shocked me, too, like, what, what, and then I I was saved by a young fellow uh, classmate, and he yells out loud, is this English class or religious class, and the professor says, you're right, you're right, let's go back to the discussion, so, What does God sound like? The reason I share that story is that we're going to be talking about what does grace look like? What does grace look like? Because there's something about this word grace that's going to come up as we read here. Chapter 2, then after an interval of 14 years, this is Paul talking. He's talking to the church, the Galatians church. They're having a big problem because they want to add to what it means to be saved. And they're trying to say, you need to go back to being like a Jew and you need to be circumcised. And Paul is saying no. Uh, And then he realized, we learned this in uh, week 2, that the issue was not just theological, but they were trying to please men, please these false teachers it wasn't just theological but it was social they were trying to be people pleasers and god is trying to and paul is trying to uh, challenge admonish the church to be god pleasers then after an interval of 14 years i went up again to jerusalem with barnabas taking titus along also it was because of a revelation that i went up and i submitted to them the gospel which i preach among the gentiles but i did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that somehow I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Yet it was a concern because of the false brother secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. But we did not yield subjection to them, even for an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of considerable repute, what they were make no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. to them. Well, those who were of repute contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing, verse 7, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel, to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been given to the circumcised. He who was at work for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised was at work with me also to the Gentiles. And verse 9. This is, if you can highlight something, that would be it. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The only ask is to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. In verse nine, and recognizing grace. Do any of you know a person named Grace? Raise your hand. I know a person named Grace. We had a girl in our ministry, her name was Grace. So the last, the question I have for us is, when is the last time you saw Grace? But I'm not talking about the person, I'm talking about what the scripture just described. In verse 9, recognizing the grace that had been given to Paul. When is the last time you saw Grace? We always ask for Grace, I ask for Grace all the time. But do you know what to look for when someone has grace? Someone who's gracious is it's an adjective. And now I just want to read a little bit. Grace is the basis of the Christian faith. We believe we are saved by faith through grace. God's grace is defined as undeserved favor. You can't earn it. It's something that's given freely. And we count on God's grace and the bridge that he built in our relationship with him. But in verse 9, it's very obvious. The apostles saw in Paul's life grace. And the question we have for us and me is, what does it look like? If you were to go around and say, I want you to go find a person that it's, there's grace in their life. What are we looking for? So what does grace look like? What does it look like? Well, the first thing we can see through Scripture is we can also kind of equate it to what does salvation look like? What does grace look like? It was so evident in Paul's life that they mentioned it. Could we pick grace out in a a crowd based on what we just read? The number one thing I noticed in Scripture Or número uno en español. Amen. Where are my Spanish speakers? Can we see the gospel advance? If you want to know if someone has grace flowing through their life, the number one thing you could see is that person is advancing the gospel. It's advancing the gospel. The Jerusalem leaders saw this with Paul's life, that he was entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 3.6 comes to mind, and it says, I planted, Paul saying, I planted Apollo's water, but God was causing the growth. Is it obvious, when we, people look at my life or your life, that the gospel is advancing? So if you want to know what to look for in a person who has grace, that would be one of the signs that the gospel is advancing. God is causing the gospel to advance in people's lives and hearts. We saw it in Paul's life. He had a conversion experience. He used to be a persecutor, but now he's being persecuted. And now his life is being used by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes. There was a conversion. The leadership saw that there was Saul and now there's a Paul. They saw something changed. He used to be this person and now he is not. You know, back in the day, I used to try to be good without Jesus. I had a very bad mouth, a foul, foul mouth, and I tried to stop one year without Jesus. I didn't really want to follow Jesus, and I knew it was getting out of control, and it was like, it was like every other word. I was so insecure, I tried to sound tough, you know, by my vulgar language, and it didn't work. I mean, it lasts for a day until, you know, stubbed my toe or somebody cut me off or, you know, somebody looked at me funny or something like that, uh, and then, you know, came right back. It's very difficult, I'd say impossible, to be good without Jesus, especially long-term. There's another, I would say, ingredient or thing that we can look and see who, what grace looks like. Number one, as we see from this passage that grace looks like someone who's advancing the gospel, who's, who's sharing the good news, is living out the good news, is, is doing those things that that guy is advancing the gospel, that person is advancing the gospel. Um, the second thing is that I love this passage, and let's just go to it again. It's in, it found in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along. He took Titus along. He took someone with him. Titus was not his luggage carrier. But Titus is going to be a living proof of Paul's life that was changed. And that's risky, isn't it? That's risky. To bring someone along and bring them in your life. You know, we can we could be really good at covering, you know, keeping things at home. But ask someone to live in your home, now, now they're gonna know. Now they're gonna know. We've had students live in our house in the past, and I'd be interested in what they would have to say. But Paul took Titus along. He was purposely, I would say, discipling another person. And that person can attest. Sadly, uh, this week I'm going to be, I'm on a team of investigators of a ministry we're going. To, there's been some uh, charges being made. Nothing of a uh, nothing like sexual nature, but it's more like uh, spiritual abuse. And we have 12 people who were part of that ministry team in the past are going to. Uh, they've opened themselves to. Hey, we want to interview them, and we're going to find out. We're going to find out what this person's leadership was like. Paul took a risk and began to have someone in his life that it could attest that whatever we're reading here is true. He's purposely discipling another person. Not the luggage boy, but a living proof witness of the effect of the gospel in Paul's life. What would our family members say about us? You know, if you ever run into my family, my brothers, sister, what was Mario like before? They'll probably say I was nice because I was the baby of the family. Uh, You might ask some high school buddies of mine. (laughs) They might give you a better picture. What was it like? You could pull one of my kids around out and say, hey, what was Mario really like? What's he like? Just don't ask Robin, okay? (laughs) I'm kidding. Paul brings Titus along so that he can attest of the change that's happened in his life and he can pour into him. When it comes to seeing grace, the proof is in the pudding. We are advancing the gospel and we're investing in people, but it's a risk because that person can attest of what kind of people have we been changed or not. So we look for, to invest in other people's life. And when you invest in other people's life, it's, it's sacrificial, right? You have to kind of give up your privacy. You gotta give up your time. You gotta give up these things, but you're advancing the gospel. There's one of my favorite all-time hymns. There's a line in there, it says, and this is where the, the idea of sacrifice let goods and kindred go, and this mortal life also. There's when you want to look for grace, look for someone who's advancing the gospel and who's investing in others and discipling others, inviting them into their life. Now, I bet you if we were to ask Titus if Paul was perfect. My guess is no, of course he's not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But again, perfection is not the goal. I think humility is the goal. Can, can a, a leader like Paul, a leader like you, perfection is, is tough. Humility, that's another sign of a person filled with grace. Grace to say, I'm sorry, to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, to pray for others, bless others, consider others better than yourself, being gracious and humble, discipling, bringing people into your life, and glorifying God by serving others. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27, it says this, Now at the time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them them named Agabus stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would definitely be a severe famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul, Paul, to the elders. And this explains a little bit why Paul was in Jerusalem. He was there to help deliver relief, famine relief to the church in Jerusalem. And he delivered not only a bag of money, but he was also a big bag of grace. And a. And the church in Jerusalem saw it. And they make mention of it. They saw grace. It was, as we read in the very first uh, verse 9. But those, and recognizing the grace that had been given to Paul. They saw it. They saw him advancing the gospel. They saw him investing in others. They saw him walking in the, in the ministry of humility. They saw it. In 2 Corinthians, Paul sees grace in the Macedonians. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5, we won't go there. So there's things of being sacrificial, time and love towards others, advancing the gospel, being, sacrificing for the sake of others. And this only happens when we love Jesus and follow Jesus. So the answer isn't don't be more gracious. Is, I would say the answer is be more like Christ. Let Christ fill you. And guess what happens when you do that? Grace becomes evident in your life. That people can see it for growing his kingdom. I would say the ultimate gift of grace is wrapped up in the cross. 2 Corinthians for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through, though he was rich, yet for the sake he became poor, there's that sacrifice, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus is the perfect example of, of a person who's recognizable grace. Recognizable Grace. And the challenge for me, and hopefully for you, is that people can see grace in our lives. And that we can encourage people when we see it in others. I do want to say thank you to our church, family. I believe we are a very gracious church. There are people at times who are in need, and we have given sacrificially. One of the challenges in our church is that when we need repairs, people will come here and they automatically think we're a rich church. You know, They see the big stained glass and they're like, oh, they got money. And so I almost have to tell them, like, hey, I know we look rich, but we're not rich. Uh, make sure you charge us correctly. But for our little church, with our little income church, uh, if you ever look at the yearly... Report, we do give sacrificially. We do give to missions to advance the gospel. We do give and help people locally who are in need. We give sacrificially. And so I do want to say thank you, Jesus, for our our beautiful church. We may not be the biggest, but that's not our goal. But we want to be a church filled with grace, advancing the gospel and sacrificially serving one another and our community. And by that, I believe the gospel is advanced. So thank you, church. Thank you that we get to be a part of that. But let me challenge you at home. I pray that your kids, your spouses, your spouse, not spouse's, uh, your roommates, your brothers, your sisters, people who know you, can say that person has grace in their life. Amen? So the goal is not perfection. It's humility. Humility. Last week I talked about, there are certain people that, you know, you didn't live a life like me. You weren't like a heathen. And so it's not that super obvious. You, you were always nice. Right? Anybody always nice? Yes. I think of my my daughter-in-law. I just love hearing her stories. Uh, Joanne. I mean, uh, and I can see it in my my granddaughter. Just precious, innocent, God-loving young lady. Not everybody has, and I thank the Lord for that. You don't want to have that kind of life that I had. But all of us can walk in humility. All of us can walk in humility. Even the purest little kid that came to know Christ at age five, four years old, that person also has to walk in humility. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Lord, I pray, God, that grace is evident in everyone's life here. And if it's not, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to walk in obedience and, Lord, that we would walk in humility. And if we need to say, I'm sorry to people, Lord, give us the supernatural strength to do that. Lord, help us to walk in humility so that grace may be evident in our lives so that the kingdom of God is expanded. Thank you, Father, for those who are around us that can be, uh, who could be witnesses of the change that you're allowing to happen, who we're allowing to happen in our lives. So we say thank you. Lord, help us to be more like you, Jesus, more like you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to serve you this week and serve one another. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. May the Lord be with you. He is risen. God bless you. We are dismissed. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.